You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. I really believe, for me, that there is an, a divine adoption that, that can take place if you're open to it. So I think I've been assigned to people, and people have been assigned to me. And so I work within the venue I find myself. And my friends who have spent any time bopping around with me, and for sure my children and now my grandchildren, they just go, oh, you know, you go to the store with her, she's just going to be talking to everybody, like she's got to talk to them right now. And so I, I do I do live life with a, an intensity and an urgency, and I pour what I have into the vessel before me. This podcast explores the mystery of relatedness as an organizing principle of the universe and of our lives. We are trying to catch a glimpse of connections beyond color, continent, country, or kinship through science, mysticism, spirituality, and the creative arts. I am Donnie Bryant. I'm Barbara Holmes, and this is The Cosmic We. We're delighted today to have with us the Reverend Sonia Walker. Pastor Sonia is associate pastor of the First Congregational Church. She's ordained Disciples of Christ and UCC, has served at WHBQ-TV. While there, she brought a dimension of advocacy to the job, using her platform to address social issues such as hunger, race, school reform, and literacy. Pastor Sonia, your life spans careers in television, counseling, education, and ministry. Welcome. We're delighted to talk with you about your ministry and about your prayers and about your stand for justice. Thank you so much, my dear friend and sister Barbara. Uh, when I heard that, I thought maybe I should burst out into song singing, Good night, sweetheart, it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not a requiem. This is a celebration of a woman who uses prayer as a language of the heart, prayer as an opportunity to commune with the divine, and prayer as a liturgical unmasking of all of our falsities. So I just want to ask you about your spiritual background. Where do you get all this from? All this moxie and all this spiritual strength. Well, the longer I live, the, the longer my list of gratitude becomes, Barbara, because I really was blessed to be reared in a family that affirmed me beyond race and gender at a time when all those things were stumbling blocks, more than stumbling blocks. They were barriers and detours and class and socioeconomic. I came from a family that just really kept telling me I was wonderful. And when I found out it was just, uh, well, when I knew that wasn't all that there was, <laughs> it didn't matter. I was off and running. So I really, and, and then the depth of family, I knew great grandparents and my, it wasn't that my folks reproduced early in life, but I knew great grandparents. I knew both sets of my paternal and maternal grandparents into my adulthood. 
Wow. They were all still alive and alert when I married, and I, I married later than a lot of my peers. So I had that sense of who and what and where and when for generations now. Yeah, they had a way of doing that, didn't they? I remember my dad calling me princess. There were no crowns around, and I certainly didn't have royal money, but I actually believed that it was true. Well, and, and you know, I mean, my father was the only surviving son in his family. And so my aunts introduced me to adults with such pomp and circumstance. They'd say, this is Sonia. This is Ike's daughter. This is our niece. Wow. And I thought that meant, well, hey, I belong in the big people circle. And I always functioned in adult situations. And I actually, it got me in trouble with some of the adults in my life because they said, you don't know a child's voice. I said, what is that? I mean, I went to visit my grandmothers, both my grandmothers with their friends and with their sisters and brothers. So I I mean, I thought I had a seat at the table early on. Was your dad a minister? Was my father? Yeah. Yes, he was, but he didn't, he actually did not go into ministry until I was 12. And it was a very difficult time in our uh, family because all this discussing and when and well, he just came in and announced to my mother he was going into the ministry and there was a possibility that he could get relocated and she's going like what and some more things that I won't repeat on the show but you know it, it wasn't it wasn't a family decision we just kind of got our stuff packed up and moved to a little town that had one traffic light in it. Hmm. But that wasn't the core of my spiritual life. I think it was watching my grandparents and hearing their stories. And and it was from seeing the best and the worst of my family. And uh, But I think my grandmother Loudon really the prayer piece, I would go downstairs in the morning sometimes and find her on her knees in front of her window after she'd swept the porch and aired out the house. She was a South Carolinian, a Charleston woman, and she had rituals and discipline for her life. And I, I, I mean, I remember standing there one time in particular and tears were streaming and she was crawling out to the Lord and the air was blowing in to the window. It was a wonderful spring morning and the curtains, the lace curtains were flying. And she just, when she was through with her conversation, she turned around and embraced me and acknowledged my presence. But I knew I had stood in a holy place with her. Wow. Reverend Sonia, Pastor Sonia, I do have a very quick question. I, I'm now to have transitioned into the second half of life. They say I'm, I'm 46 and you just mentioned being in, in a particular season of your life where you see things differently. The question I really have for you is what has been some truths over the years that you have found to be very consistent throughout life's changes, throughout the seasons that have changed and even through the tears and through the blessings of life. But what are some truths that now in your octogenarian years that you can still say these are still true today? Well, I know that love trumps everything. And I know that the thing that balances love is forgiveness. Mm. I saw this in examples and I saw unforgiveness and I saw how it wounded people. I've had people come and talk to me about affairs and a marriage and, and they're wounded deeply. You know, you broke this promise. And I said, and, and God gave me these words first. I didn't think it up out of my own. 
it's okay not to want to forgive. It's natural. It's human. But because we are both human and divine, God gives us an opportunity to acknowledge our human pain and disappointment and then to pray for the strength and the will. And I said, you may have to pray for a year or longer just for the will to forgive. But it is essential to be willing, willing to forgive wow. and God will help you do it. Wow. And 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 that love that love relationship. I mean, if you can keep remembering, if we can keep remembering that we how much more we love people and situations than anything else and ask God to strengthen and deepen the love, we can get through a whole lot of stuff. Amen. Mm. I'm uh, I'm leading a group at First Congo called Walk in the Talk. We came up in this uh, pandemic of race and the reckoning and whatever else we want to call it um, and came up with a a statement, an anti-racism statement for the church. It's one of our covenants. And I, and I felt called to create a space to talk about race. I said, Ideally, it wouldn't be I, but that's okay because this is a predominantly white congregation and I can walk into fire and not be consumed. I still believe that. So I said, let's, you know, if you can't talk about race in in sacred spaces, we need to shut down these churches and make them recreation centers or something like that, because that's what I I feel strongly about it. My husband used to say, the problem with you is you really believe people ought to do the right thing (laughs) 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 and that they're going to do it. Yep. So we we do this once a week and, and there's a smaller group than some of the other offerings in, in our classes right now, but we just plod on. And sometimes as it's getting near that time, I go, Oh my God, is anyone going to show up? And, you know, but I just go and I'm exhilarated and I'm elevated and I'm excited. And I've said to them, this is spiritual warfare and you are doing mighty work to even try to be talking about this stuff, however small or large we are. And they just keep coming. And and and, and, and so, you know, <laughs> that's that's the line on which I'm driving. That's the lane in which I'm driving that issue. You mentioned the pandemic and uh, what was happening for a little piece in your life during that. How do you pray during a pandemic? And after it's over, how do you pray afterward? Oh, well, I did pull a few prayers. You asked me to um, to do that. And, and right now we are birthing a center uh, that was named, is being named after me. And I have to say to people, Look, you stole my intellectual property and you are stuck with me for a long time to come. (laughs) So we're going to get to that. That's an exciting new center. We're going to talk about that. Well, we'll talk about that a little later, but I'm just saying um, I really wanted to go back and read prayers from when I first started doing them. I realize I have many, but some of the, so I, but I just stayed in this zone. This was the 21st of March. Okay. 
God of every season of life, the earth has heard your summons. Snowstorms are taking their last bows. Rainstorms are beginning to be warm, not freezing cold and icy. Some flowers are saucily modeling their annual wardrobes with enthusiasm and excitement. Birds are rehearsing their songs like music masters preparing for large hall concerts. We see, feel, hear, or even become the changes we call spring in this hemisphere. Others of us call it the season of Lent. Almighty God, after all the unpredictable things we endured under so many difficult circumstances, we say thank you. Thank you for inviting us to abide in you, even if we didn't know you or want to. We, when at our best, have been compared to less than filthy rags, humbly say, thank you for abiding in us in our greatest hour of need. We continue struggling to accept Jesus as the way, like Thomas, Philip, and waves of others. Then and now, we doubt you. You promise to clear a way for us to be in your presence beyond this life, and yet, we doubt you. Does the place you make for us have reserved spaces for people divided by region and race, color and class, height and hearing, gender assigned and gender defined, health and stealth? Despite our foolish ways, you remain our advocate as thy kingdom comes and thy will becomes our truth our way of life. Amen. 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 Goodness. Thank you. It's interesting, uh, Pastor Sonia, that as I hear your your prayers, uh, I'm reminded of an article that I read, I don't know, I think maybe it was 2018 about you, and they called you the mother of reinvention. <laughs> it was an article, I believe. Old soldiers never die; they just fade away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it 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 said something to the effect how I mean, and I and I hear and I hear that in your prayers and how you reimagine the isolation and the pain of the pandemic. You know, the physical separation from one another, but there was this reimagining of what reality could be like in your prayers and the relationship and what life is like, even in exile, and so. I, I can see that title, The Mother of Reinvention, even being applicable in how your prayers were written. Well, let me say this. I'm not one of these people who does a spreadsheet on where I'm going to be in three years or five years or tomorrow or even this evening. But what I do know, what I what I really learned about myself in seminary, the most outstanding part of my discernment, is that I have been who I am all my life. And I've always had hope. I've always seen the glass full. And over time, I've had experiences to teach me what that meant and how to articulate that, how to verbalize that. But 
and I, and and that's really true of all, all of us. There's a denominator that goes through everything, and we bounce up and down off of it. But who we are is who we are. It's your spiritual DNA, and we usually run from it most of our lives or all of it. Hmm. And it's not so much that I am reinventing myself, but I move who I am into new settings. Mm-hmm. As somebody said, some oh, probably 30 years ago, Sonia Walker, some of us, are, and this was a woman about 15 years younger than I, she said, we're thinking about our retirement plan. You keep starting up new stuff. <laughs> I said, but I'm doing the same stuff. It's just new <laughs> settings. That's great. <laughs> And so people greeted me after my husband died and I didn't have to be concerned about practical shoes in case he had a fall. And I put had a little more time to put some more paint on myself and I got a few long dresses shortened. And people said, I thought you'd left Memphis. Where have you been? I said, I took my gifts and my talents to another venue. I've been running on a different track, swimming in a different lane, but it's still me. I just came back with some new stuff. <laughs> you you said this, and I, I just want to share your words with you because they're so inspiring. You said ministry, this forum, gives me one more opportunity to encourage people to live into their own truths. How do you help someone in a culture that can't discern or says they can't discern truth? to live into that inner truth, that spiritual truth that they came here with? Well, for in the first place, it takes a lot of energy. And Walter, my partner for life, would say to me, your problem is you think you can casework the whole world. And I said, you know the story of the boy and the sun and the starfish, don't you? You just help the ones that you encounter. I really believe for me that there is an, a, a divine di- adoption that, that can take place if you're open to it. So I think I've been assigned to people and people have been assigned to me. And so I work within the venue I find myself. And my friends who have spent any time tr- bopping around with me and for sure my children and now my grandchildren, they just go, oh, you know, you go to the store with her. She's just going to be talking to everybody like she's got to talk to them right now. And so I I do I do live life with a, an intensity and an urgency. And I pour what I have into the vessel before me. Mm-hmm. I also think I have a long straw and I take out of that vessel what's there for me. Right. And because I hold myself to that, that there's still more, there's still more. God will give you what you need. You know, if we really can live in the fact that we're the vessels and God has the contents for mm-hmm. the vessel. And we often think we're the vessel, the contents and the creator of the contents. And I want to go back to this um, statement I made a little earlier that I said, I'd learn how to verbalize some of this feeling and discernment. I you know, sometimes you just run in a meeting or an event and you think I'm just going in and going out, just see and be seen. And one day I was really on my way to my office. This was when I had about two careers ago. And um, 
an artist, an African-American male artist, and this is what just knocks me out because some of the most powerful spiritual things I've experienced, it's been an African-American person in an obscure role. And so we have to look for where is the divine showing up. But he was a guest for teachers, uh, then Memphis City School teachers, at a workshop that the Arts Council was putting on, now called Arts Memphis, okay? I've lived through everybody's evolution. (laughs) And so I walked in there just long enough to hear him say, people keep talking about the glass is half full or half empty. The glass is always full. Because where the water ends, the air begins. Mm. My... Mm. That's how I tell people mm-hmm. that pandemic or nay, that has stood for me in many conversations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just true. It's a simple truth. Wherever the water ends, the air begins. So the class is never empty. Yeah. Correct. And also you follow, uh, you said you listen, you have time to listen. I remember uh, when I was living in Memphis, I was taking my mother to the hospital. She Mm -hmm. wasn't feeling very well. And before I could turn the key, Sonia had pulled up behind me. Pastor Sonia jumped out of the car, took my mother's hands and said, can I pray with you? Right there by the side of the road, she calmed my mother's nerves, prayed with her, and we took off. And my mother said to me, did you tell Pastor Sonia to come? And I said, no, but she's got her own messaging system. (laughs) (laughs) so it's really instinctive it really is another thing you've said to people is don't be afraid of the darkness in your life and your uncertainties and don't be compelled to fill your life with busyness that has no purpose and no pleasure in it step into the calling that god puts you in That works. Are you sure you found those words attached to me? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good, man. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Pastor Sonia, I want you to speak a little bit more. Just just a minute ago, you, you mentioned uh, being able to see the divine in obscure places, being able to see God in places that you may not necessarily, you, you talked about it in the, yeah, the artist, but. Because I do not remember his name. I just remember he was from New York. 
I didn't, I wasn't there long enough. I think he was a painter, but he, I don't even know what his medium was. But that day, it was spiritual lessons for me. And, you know, we go whizzing around thinking, I mean, brushing past people. And, and, and one of the things that just makes my hair turn blonde and straight is like, and what do you do? I hate that question. <laughs> and ha- I mean, you know, there's a way to find out what people's life work is with that. And what do you do? Like you're going down a checklist. Do I want to keep talking to you or not at this important event? And how do you know? So and so, like, oh please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but Doctor Pastor Sonia, I think you're right because I think in some respect, we in our culture we tend to define a person's identity based upon what they do or their work. But what I hear from you, it's not so much about the work; it's who you are, right? It's that it's that character, and so so much about how you've described your journey over the years has been so much influenced by the formation of your identity in the early years of your life and how that identity has inspired you and given you passion um, and allowed you to continue to keep going on throughout these years. So I think there seems to be that there's a connection with, uh, you know, understanding our our sense of self-worth and our identity and who we are, not based upon our performance, but based upon a declaration of who we are, how the divine sees us and how we see ourselves in that. One friend of mine long ago on the other side, and, and I quoted her many, 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 many times, said it this way. She had te- taught uh, gifted children. And she said to me one day, Walker, don't you, don't you think childhood is everything? And all the rest is trying to figure out what it was. Yeah, that's <laughs> that takes it down to the basics. Yes. And that is why children sit right in the middle of my heart. Mm. Children have a space in my heart. Or even the child in a person that they bring and allow themselves to be vulnerable. That's just right in the center of my heart. Um, because I do know that the childhood I had anchored and grounded me and, and fed me and gave me more than enough to share, more than enough. And so uh, somebody said, one of my aunts said to me, oh, you just go in a room, you just are heart hugging people and moving all around. Didn't you get enough loving when you were growing up? What is that? <laughs> I said, no, I have enough to share. That's what mm. it is. I'm not walking around deprived. Don't feel badly about the way you loved me or didn't. I, I, I'm fine. And, and so it's really, that's that's who we're working with all the time. That little child within, you know, people have written about it and made a lot of money. And, and it's still, we don't put things in place to take care of children any better. But beginnings are everything. But for those who start off and don't have that rich, solid, anchored beginning, how do you how do you help them to find a center that they can keep returning to as a safety? I remind them that their beginning has nothing to do with Mary and John getting their hot water together and making them. Okay. That their creation really began long before okay. the human touch got in the picture. And if you can't 
get the love you think you want or you didn't get the Go back to the story. And if you don't know it, let me remind you that the word says, thank you. You knew me when I was being knitted in my mother's womb. <laughs> you knew me before the beginnings of the earth. Now, don't try to hold me to exact quotations because I have to put it in language I know. I, <laughs> my children sometimes say, Mom, how do you find this in the Bible? I said, honey, wait a minute, I have to look it up. <laughs> I'm not a scripture quoter. I just use the scripture I have to give people hope yeah. and to mm. help them undergird their lives. But I do know how to use the word and how to find what I need. <laughs> Pastor Sonia, First Congo in Memphis, where you serve as an associate, um, is a multiracial, multigenerational, peace and justice-oriented, open and affirming church. And what does that mean to you, particularly during Pride Month, with regard to its being open and affirming? Oh, I um, had something in a prayer about all that just on Sunday because there was so much to acknowledge. Uh, in the week going, that June is the month of Juneteenth and the Pride Month. And so I have embraced it. I have completely embraced it because there are people in my life that I love who are maybe not open or not just not out and they're not publicly out as LBGTQ or anything else, but that has not been a problem for me. And what I liked about the church, they didn't say, well, they can come in, but it is really literally open and affirming. It's people who are officers, there are people on staff. You know, if you want to be closeted, if you need to be closeted, fine. If you want to be open, if you want to redefine your orientation. I mean, there I've seen times when people came to church and explained who they were, introduced themselves. A couple of weeks, months later, dressed in different clothing. We actually have walked through people going through their transition with surgery and medication. And you know what? It's just given me another rich toolkit because it's it, it just keeps affirming that the embrace of that congregation and the members who are LGBTQ, known and unknown, their embrace of me and mine of them has really helped me in many other arenas of my life. People said to me, are you doing marriages? Yes. And we were very excited when the Supreme Court made marriages legal. But still people hold their breaths, whether it's going to be reversed by the courts or the you know, my grandchildren, uh, one set of my grandchildren were here when I did two m different weddings and they were just going like, well, we've only been to gay and lesbian marriages at grandma's church. And the first time they went to a heterosexual wedding, they went, oh, is this the way this works? They, I mean, they, these children have grown up that way in their school. Because they'd been here, they were ready for a child to make a transition from male to female in their school. And the school had to address it. They were going like, okay, we know how to do that. So it's, it's prepared me for a bigger ministry than just what I knew. Hmm.
There is a, a, a verse in Exodus, I think it's uh, chapter 14, 15, where the people run up to the Red Sea and have nowhere to go. And they start praying to God. And God says to Moses, tell the people to stop praying and be and move on. Mm-hmm. Do something. Mm-hmm. And in your ministry, I see the depth of prayer, the acknowledgement of our pain and our suffering as human beings, but also move on. Let's do something. Justice, hmm. peace, action. And because of that combination, someone saw fit to endow $6 million in your name to start the Justice Center. Wow, what is it like when money actually m- matches up with purpose? I scarce can take it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are still in the process of actualizing that gift because with it came a lot of needs for the church to have it be a welcoming center. You, you've seen our parking lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we, as somebody said, we have 22 doors around this campus and heart, people never know how to get in the building. And so we are sharing the money. We're going to put in an elevator so that we can use the second floor for our residential conference center. It is so amazing uh, we had a, one board and it dissolved itself because in the face of COVID, nobody could figure out where they were going next. And so we've had to do a lot of work to try to move past that, what looked like a false beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it um, a miscarriage. And someone shared with me that babies born after a miscarriage are called rainbow babies. Mm-hmm. And so we are now trying to birth a rainbow baby. Mm. with gratitude for those who open the pathway. Right. Because, you know, everybody can't get fertilized. <laughs> everybody cannot conceive. You know that. I have no comment, Pastor Sonia. <laughs> so even the fact that they were a constituted board is a gift to mm-hmm. us. Yes, yes. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to say, to, and I wasn't on it. So I was a neutral party to to say, You didn't do anything bad. It just wasn't the mixture. You know, some things we put in those full glasses make the glass go bang and the glass shatters everywhere. Timing is everything. And for the context of the audience, First Congo sits in a neighborhood that is very, very eclectic, very, um, a lot of needs in the area. Yes. For feeding and clothing and housing. And this is a large and rambling church um, that serves many, many needs to the community. And Sonia has... Excuse me, Barbara. You know, it's kind of sandwiched in between Central Gardens and Orange Mound. Yes, but people don't know what Orange Mound is. Well, I know. know. You can tell them what that means. It's a historical Black community, which also has a lot of needs. Mm -hmm. So this gift... It's going to change not just the church, but also the neighborhood and the lives of a very, very diverse community. Well, people talk about it a lot, and its name is kind of long and all that. But I said, it's not to honor. I I really, it's humbling and embarrassing, really, because, I, I mean, I just, 
did like Walter said, I kept treating every relationship like it was one starfish. That's, you know, and people strung these things together and went, oh, wow. Now, but it's not that. I think the most important thing about it for me is that it's a teaching tool to remind everyone who hears about it, knows about it, is trained there, exposed there, is gifted there, brings a gift, takes a gift, that the power of one is what mm. propels me. Mm. The power of one. I wasn't trying to major in something that would get me in headlines. I wasn't trying to do. I've never been focused on that. I just believe that whatever I was assigned to do and whoever was assigned to me, I have poured it in like I was the only watering can around. Wow. (laughs) And and so the, the real piece of this is, I hope that the way this center is made invitational to people wherever they are on the justice ladder to really believe they have power, Mm. both divine and human, to be a justice worker. And it's not about a label or a title or who knows or who doesn't know or a salary or not. It's there are opportunities to do justice work for all of us in our everyday lives. Reverend Sonia, I've had so many conversations recently, particularly as we are um, still in a pandemic, but maybe on the tail end of it, many conversations about the future of the church. What is the church going to look like in the future? I wanted to see if you had any insights or any ideas, any thoughts about what the evolution and what the next generation of the church is going to look like based upon your history, your experience, and uh, the wisdom that you bring? Oh, my. I'll be given the next $6 million if I could answer that. (laughs) 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 Well, let me say this. I remember in seminary the concept of the emerging church. I thought, that's pretty interesting. In as much as I was born into a deeply entrenched AME family, and I was very proud of being an African Methodist Episcopal child because I knew in my bones it was a protest movement. It had been born out of protest. Mm -hmm. And that made me very proud. It was very difficult. The first time I ever stepped into a congregation that was predominantly white Mm -hmm. and then joined, even if there were black churches or predominantly black churches, I just couldn't figure that out what God was wanting me to do and be when I belonged in the protest movement. But anyhow, that's a whole nother story. And now people are talking about the evolving church. It's complex, but it's not. We don't want to do the work. We want to hold on to these institutions as they were. It's a form of escapism for many of us. We understand there are different threads in the Black church you know, historically, and I honor these differences, but in the Black church, we want to have dress up and a place to go. And even if we couldn't read w- real words, we were smart as hell. And we, you know, got to be somebody important and were recognized with status. I get that. And that's still true for many of us, that we have place and purpose in our congregational communities. And I'm not, and I don't think we ought to stop that, but I think we've got to create multi layers Mm. of, you know, 
I mean, Barbara has two sons. I have three and all the ones that my children brought to my door. But <laughs> you don't try to give the same ones the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody the same menu. So, you know, some churches have adapted and had a have a Saturday night five o'clock service or a seven o'clock service. They call them traditionals and this and that. We've got to find out what really feeds the people. Their needs are so great. I mean, I call that priceless Corey Pig on here, the engineer. I call it early, got ahead of the crowd. I'm finally learning to go ahead of the crowd and said, would you walk me through how to get on this particular platform? So that, because I'm, I want to be focused on what I'm going to be. I want to be so open that I don't want to be all um, mismatched and anxious about how to use this technology. I didn't want to use my energy that way and just be a deflated balloon here sitting here with you for however long we're going to visit. So I put my energy, I reserved it for what matters. And that's what the church is going to have. I mean, maybe we have to have a, a part of our luscious buildings open for people to be a walkthrough. Hmm. I mean, when you are in crisis, can you wait till Sunday to go get a hallelujah moment? <laughs> One of my visions for the seminary was, why don't we put some signs up on that gorgeous access property and have people from the community invited to those midweek services, noonday, you're driving along, tears flying out your face. You just heard more news than you can handle. You need to run up in there, see a big sign said, come pray with us. Hmm. Come let us pray with you. We didn't get there yet. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think one of the things that magnetizes me to people and people to me is I make myself available. And people, I mean, I have friends who call me all kinds of names that aren't really profane, but they're worse. And so, you know, because I'm not the girl who's going to pick up, or old lady, who's going to pick up the phone and say, well, they have a sale on toilet paper over at uh, Ike's. You want to, shall I cut? I can't, I don't live life like that. Probably because it was a time I couldn't go to the store every time they had a sale. But so I said, but if you call me and people say, oh, I'd like, I wanted to call you, but you were just so busy. Call me. I Leave me a message. Make it clear. Write the message. Write it on tablets. <laughs> <laughs> but if you make it clear that I need you now or soon. I can part the waters, but I'm not going to, and I can be there a couple of days, if over a week, a month, help you get through that crisis. But I got to move on. I'm not now into, what kind of paint you think I ought to paint my bathroom? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's not that I don't respect that or that I don't have rooms that need to be painted. It's a short time to be here on this earth. And I want to do the things that give me energy and hope and allow me to do the main thing, make keep the main thing the main thing. Well, that is a good stopping point. I, I just want to thank you for being willing to talk with us this afternoon. 
Our community is blessed. I am blessed. All the people who know you are blessed because you're doing the work that your soul must have. Thank you, Pastor Sonia. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so very much. Be well, be blessed in your work as well. We'd like to leave you with a few reflections on this segment with Reverend Sonia Walker. One of the things that she focused on was inner truth and helping those who are assigned to you. When I lived in Memphis, I, I, I watched her do this over and over again. Simple encounters with storekeepers or someone passing on the sidewalk led to in-depth conversations, pouring into vessels, drawing the sustenance needed. It's an amazing thing to be able to know where you're needed, to do what you're called to do, to pour into the lives of others. One of the ideas she mentioned in her conversation about inner truth, she spoke of this concept of divine adoption. And maybe one of the things we can take away and reflect on is how maybe we're assigned to people and how those people have been assigned to us. Who are you assigned to? What's your call? What are you needed for? And where can you draw sustenance for your ongoing work? Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.